KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. The streak became heavy because it became front and center and becomes a thing. And then when we did lose, I remember one of the captains saying out loud, I would rather lose with you than win with anyone else. And that that was so profound and so nurturing and loving and just picking everyone up, just being with each other. That comment sticks with me. And our guest this week is Sherry Retief, who is retiring after 25 years as one of the top high school girls basketball coaches in Pennsylvania, a legend at Germantown Academy. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. So before we talk about your incredible career, why was this the right time to decide to step away? I felt it in my gut. I have a granddaughter who's playing a lot of basketball herself right now. And during practice, I would be getting text messages from my son saying, Michaela's game is is tomorrow. Can you make it? No. Or can you come to the dinner? The family's going to get dinner after her game. Can you come? And it was always no. And I started to feel in my gut I wanted to be more with my family. I've I've been at GA 25 years, but I've coached 37 years. That's that's a long time. So it doesn't sound like it was, I don't want to say it was an easy decision, but it kind of sounded like the decision in your head was kind of made for you as it was kind of laid out before you. Yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're thinking about it. It's not like you have, it hasn't, you know, come across your mind in the last couple of years. Like, you you know, you're coming down to the end of the your career. And for me, I, I love my junior class, but I wanted to leave the cupboard full and have the next coach come in and be able to just pick up and do their thing. And so I noticed a lot of coaches retire when the cupboard's empty and there's not a lot of talent. And it's really about their legacy and the program. It's not about me and what's good for me. So for me, it just felt really right. What was the reaction of family, everybody in the GA circle? Because I'm sure this caught a lot of people flat-footed. Well, I think my sons had a, a sense. And one son, when I said, no, it's definitive, he said, Mom, I'm so happy for you. And my other son, who's more connected to me coaching and comes to all the games, he's like, no, Mom. Can't you wait a few more years until Michaela gets to high school? And so, you know, it didn't help me with the decision. But when I told the players, I had a, a, an opportunity to just create some space with them and share some reflections with them. And I am within five minutes of walking out of the room. I got a text message from the school nurse saying, hey, your kids are in here. You know, congratulations on your retirement. This is bittersweet. So it, it was a bittersweet all around, I feel. Are you curious what life is going to feel like in a few months? Like, I'm sure now it's still a little nebulous because life, I'm sure, isn't that much different. But once when practice was supposed to start and when you were supposed to start to do why and all the things that have become so routine and they aren't there, are you curious how it's going to feel? I'm I have to honestly say I'm not. I had that same conversation with my son who said, well, mom, are you going to be an assistant or something? Like, are you going to, how are you going to stay connected? I said, I will be in the bleachers when I'm available to be in the bleachers. And for me, I have a lot of other things going on in my life that I will be able to invest a little bit more time in things that, you know, I've really enjoyed and put on a back burner. What are some of those things? Uh, I love yoga. I do yoga every day. And during the season, I just, you know, the swim coach and I joke about how we, neglect ourselves because we just get so involved with coaching. 
So I, I love yoga, and I'm back doing that now. Um, sometimes I do it twice a day. I love spiritual direction. I have my doctorate in spiritual counseling. I companion people with finding the spirit and the divine in their lives. It's very nurturing for me, and I learn a lot in listening to other people on their journey. It's fascinating because that feels like not what your average high-level coach would be. It's usually the intensity and the yoga spirituality. That that seems like it's different from the average coach. Do you feel like that, or is it more a, a piece of success than people realize? For me, it it feels very natural. I got involved with the Center of Sports and Spirituality at Newman over 20 years ago. I was on the founding board and it was a hard sell. People didn't understand the the connection of sport and spirituality, and they would they would always associate spirituality with religion and say, "Oh, religion doesn't belong in the conversations on the sideline." And you'd have to break it open with them and say, "So, what are your spiritual values? So do those values show up on the sideline on the bench?" So, for me, I think my spirituality has been as even more so about being in the bleachers with the kids and being in the pew at, at, at church. You know, it's, it's a lived practical theology where you're engaged in life lessons. And, and that's how the spirit moves through me. And I hope that it moves through my athletes as well. I would imagine maintaining calm and maintaining a steady hand is kind of goes along with that to be able to take a deep breath in the middle of chaos, whether it's in a huddle, whether it's, you know, in a locker room, whatever, how much does that play into your success to where coach B might, you know, pound the table and scream. You are more, okay, let's look at this. Why did you do X? Let's break it down. Yeah. I don't think I'm that calm. (laughs) (laughs) And I've, I've had people say, how do you remain so calm on the sideline? And I think I've watched role models like a Muffet McGraw, who is fascinating, a, a, a Tara Vanderveer, who they, you just want to coach like they coach. Um, and so I want to emulate what they do, and I want to grow into becoming that person. And so if I feel if I can remain calm and poised, then my athletes can remain calm and poised. And, you know, sports are life speeded up. So it, you're going at a, you have to be very impulsive. You have to be intuitive. You have to react in the moment. And it's a great life lesson for taking those skills and then applying them to outside. So, you know, outside activities, be it your friendships, your relationships, your academics. How do I maintain that poise and calm next time I have a really hard test? You know, what, what are the life, life lessons I've learned? What do you think you will miss the most from being the head coach at GA? Oh, the relationships with the players. I think sports are about relationships, definitely. You know, it's not easy to get up at 6 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning and be at the gym for 6.15 for the, the handful of players that want to be in there and get extra shots up in the morning. But you value those moments because you know you're helping them grow in their passions so, yeah, so those relationships, just being a part of knowing that they want to excel and they want to be their best. And so that that's definitely going to be a void that I haven't actually thought about until this, this second. <laughs> and that being said, what do you think could fill that void? I mean, obviously more time with family and 
you mentioned granddaughter and uh, that's, but do you see mentoring or something that maybe isn't the intense day to day that coaching is, but something like that? Well, I heard an interview with a young player um, that played for university of Tennessee and like a lot of athletes will talk about their psychology coach or whatever. And this young man mentioned his spiritual director that he works with, and it really caught my attention. And so on my website, I've created an opportunity to work with athletes and in those tough moments, because I think in athletics, you're you're living within the tensions and there's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. And what can you learn from the rough times? And then how do you move through those challenges and still stay grounded in your core values. And and that's what spiritual direction with athletes would be about. So I don't know if that will materialize, but there's a possibility. So let's talk a little bit about your journey to where you are now. Was basketball your big sport as a kid, or were you doing a lot of different things? I was I was actually doing several sports. I played basketball, softball, and volleyball, but I definitely, you know, even in college, I played two sports. I played volleyball and um, basketball. But after freshman year, I realized I needed a life. <laughs> and I couldn't just go from one gym to the other gym. And I wanted to get a, a real sense of college culture. So I, I gave up volleyball. In the last three years, I focused on basketball. And that was at Tulane? That was at Tulane, yes. Now, you grew up in the New Orleans area? Yeah, my high school was actually across across the street from the arena at Tulane. So I literally walked across the street to go to college. Was the goal to stay close to home or is it just how the chips fell? It's how it unfolded and having an opportunity to go to Tulane University, you know, was a life dream. My other option, I was recruited to go to St. John's. I was right on the heels of Title IX. Mm -hmm. And so Title IX started in 72. I graduated high school in 78. So having an opportunity to get a full scholarship to go to Tulane, that was something I knew I couldn't pass up. For people that didn't have the privilege to watch you play, give us the scouting report. Oh, what, wow. Why were you, because you were very good. What what made you good? Uh, number one, I was a team player. I would constantly hear the coach say, you have to shoot more, you have to shoot more. And you know, I'd say I'm not open, but I loved the rhythm of the game. I loved sharing the ball. I love you know, I, I was a tall guard being 5'10 and being a guard. I was a two guard. I would sometimes run back up point guard. So I think that was a tremendous asset when most of the, you know, post players were maybe 5'11 back then. Growing up, when did you realize you were good? Oh. I mean, there had to be some moments where you kind of looked around and were like, yeah, I seem to be able to do things that other kids aren't doing and I seem to get more attention. Was there an aha moment when you realized basketball could take you further than a lot of people? No, I don't. I Honestly, I just feel that I was so involved and so passionate about becoming better and learning the game that I just was always taught be humble, be humble. So patting myself on the back and saying you're good was not really something um, in my mind space. I, and I wish I could say, yeah, it was at this moment. When did I know I was passionate? Uh, when I would watch my brothers play in the yard and they were seven and nine years older than me and I couldn't obviously engage with them. But when they put the ball down, I, I would go pick it up and start shooting in the yard by myself. I didn't realize it was odd for me to be so passionate at such a young age. And when I go watch and play high school basketball, I would sit still and just watch and watch. And if they played football, I could care less. If they played baseball, I could care less. So I was a little sister that went to all their games. 
by all that watching and everything, do you feel like the seeds of coaching were kind of planted then? I That's a great question. I, I imagine, yeah, I just love the game. I love the flow. When you can get into a flow state where you're just – there's no sense. It's like a runner's high. Mm-hmm. And I, I can get into that sense where I have no idea what the score is. I have, I'm just in the game and in totally immersed and in oneness with my players. And I could feel that as a player that that's really what participating. It was artistic for me. How, and I don't want this to just talking to you and you talk about that flow and it being artistic. Were you concerned with winning or was doing all the right things and playing it the right way and getting to a certain point, the winning was the obvious result, if, that, if I'm making sense. Was I concerned with winning? Uh, that's a great question because I recognized um, in reflection just recently, I was in this competition. It was a Knights of Columbus competition, and I was cheering so hard for my friend to win that she wasn't really a basketball player and she won. And then I, I thought, well, you know, that's really odd. Did I not want to win by cheering so hard for her? Or, And I, I reflected on that, I think, in a piece I wrote in America Magazine recently. And it makes me think about that with your question. I've always, I've shifted from the emphasis on winning, but how do we measure success? And how um, is, is competition a good thing? So, the, you know, I didn't, no, that's what I was questioning back then. Like, is competition a good thing? And I think I've gotten to the place in my life that competition is a great thing. It helps us become our best. It helps us to learn respect for those. It teaches us humility. And so that's, you know, I used to feel compromised because if I, if my team didn't win, I didn't sometimes feel as bad as they felt. And I felt, why am I not feeling so upset? But I started to recognize that I measured success a little bit different than what they did. And it wasn't right or wrong because when I was probably their age, I measured it the way they did. Like winning was really, really important. So when does, I mentioned, you know, the seeds of coaching being planted, when does that crystallize for you? You're having a ton of success as a player at Tulane. As your playing days are winding down, are you starting to think I need to stay in the game and, you know, in the the time frame when you came through, the opportunities were not as plentiful for women professional basketball players like they are now. Uh, what's kind of your mind space as your college career winds up? So I, after graduation, even though my degree was in education, I taught in the classroom. I taught history and science to middle schoolers. And I was volunteering in the program that my parents had started when I was young. And I remember graduating and saying, okay, I'm done. And my husband said, wait, you're done. He goes, you're really good at that. And it just was like, wait, really? Like that was the crystallizing moment. His confidence just recognizing it as a non-athlete, someone who had never played sports in their life, really could sit and reflect back to me what he felt I was doing well. And so one of the students where I was teaching fifth and sixth grade came in my classroom one day and said, Ms. Retief, why do we have a boys' basketball team at our school and not a girls' basketball team? And I was there two years, and I, I ne- it, the thought never occurred to me. And I said, well, let's see what we can do about that. And so we started 
a program for middle school students. And within two years, a local high school asked me to come coach there. And so then I got right into it at Ursuline Academy. But it wasn't like something I had dreamed about doing. I, I thought, okay, now I have to be a grown up. Like basketball's over. Like that was the message that society put out, you know, that sports were for kids, not for adults. Did the coaching feel right right away? Absolutely. It, I was so at home and I had the opportunity to go to Ursula and I just bonded and connected with the passion of the young girls who were there. It was an all girls school. They had no success in winning prior. So there were no expectations. So they were so, they were sponges. They wanted to do whatever they could to build a sense of, of pride and commitment in the program. And there was, a, there was talent. We, we had two girls that went on to play at the next level in my second year there. So it was just a really good fit. It happened to be probably a half a mile um, from Tulane. Oh, not even that. I'm saying three blocks from Tulane. And you were very big in staying in this yeah, little circle. <laughs> I, I, I lived, I grew up in a bubble. It was across the street for college and three blocks over to Ursuline, all in uptown New Orleans. Was there any, I don't know if longing's the word, but thoughts of breaking out? Like, did, were, was there any, I wonder what it would be like, you know, or was it just, I'm happy, I'm content, this is fun, I feel at home, this is, this is good? No, there was, there was an opportunity I passed on. My children were young. I think I only had one child at the time, and I interviewed for the head coach position, so I'd go back two blocks the other way at Tulane. And I remember the athletic director saying, Sherry, we're not sure you're ready to take the head, you know, reins, but we'd like you to come in and be the assistant to Joy Lee, who I knew who was from Mississippi, and she had coached 10 years in the um, college ranks. And so come in and, and work with her. And there was something about it. I thought, okay, if I was the head coach, it would really be a step up. And I would have autonomy to make decisions. I would have autonomy when to be home with my son. And then I thought, you know, I, I'm, I can be off in the summers. I, I finish my days earlier. And I just, I said, no, I think I'm going to stay here and stay in the college ranks. And then I had another opportunity after I was up here. DePaul University asked me to be an assistant coach, and that's a you know a top twenty five program. And I just said, Doug, I'm not the breadwinner in the family. I can't pick up. And my child's very happy at Germantown Academy. You know, he was a seventh grader then. And I said, I'd just like to stay here. So I did have opportunities. Regrets? I don't know. I'm I'm pretty happy with who I am and the opportunities my children have had in the area. We need to take a break. We will have more with just retired Germantown Academy head girls basketball coach Sherry Retief right after this. This is one-on-one. And we are back on one-on-one continuing our conversation with Sherry Retief, who just retired after 25 years as the head girls basketball coach at Germantown Academy. So we talk about, you know, little tongue-in-cheek, how your whole world was that handful of blocks uh, in New Orleans. You do obviously eventually come up to this area. We talked 25 years at GA. Before that, you were at Sun Valley? Yes. That correct? So kind of where does the opportunity, how does someone come from New Orleans to the Delaware Valley? What was the connection? What was the, the, the door that opened? My husband took a job up here. And so I thought, okay, I'm done teaching, I'm done coaching. My children were four and one, and I would be a stay-at-home and 
raised. And then when my youngest started kindergarten is when my husband, again, sent my resume to GA. And I I was caught off guard. I was working Pat. I liked volunteering. I was working Pat Summit's camp in Tennessee. And, you know, I was very connected to the game. And I came home and he said, guess what? The job opened up and I had coached Chelsea Caden in summer ball. And she was an athlete there. And her dad had called my husband. And so it's a great school. How do you pass an opportunity like that? up? So I, the door just opened there. And, you know, it's, it's a it's a dream place being at Germantown Academy. So were you coaching at Sun Valley before that? Yeah, an odd thing happened that a, a student I was coaching was at Sun Valley. And a week before their season started, there was a teacher strike. And they just needed someone really fast. And I, I was not teaching. I was not coaching. And so I went in. I, I felt so connected to the kids. I wanted to see the freshmen all the way through their senior year. And I, I stayed there four years. And again, you know, I, I gave up that job not knowing there was GA in front of me. And so I, I have this sense that I really don't know what my plans are now. But I'm sure somehow I'll just walk into and find a place that, you know, will be very nurturing and to my soul and my passions, and it'll be a fun thing to do. Was there a point during the 25 years at GA where even if it wasn't, you didn't say it out loud that this is where I'm going to be for the duration? Absolutely not. I never, I I would watch friends because there's a big celebration when you're 25 years and I'm at GA eight years and I'm like, I'll, I'll never make it to 25. I'll never. And then you're, you know, you're at 15 and you're still saying, I'll never make it to 25. And then you wake up one morning and it's 25 years. And where did the time go? Your success at GA, I mean, we could, I could probably do a whole another podcast just reading off the incredible success and the championships and the winning streaks and all. What are you most proud of, of your 25 years at Germantown Academy? What am I most proud of? I I think I'm most proud of the culture that we created in the program. And it's a culture of a shared values, a shared vision, respect, mutual respect, all of those things. We have a um, where we we do senior testimonials and they'll and they'll read off their reflections. So I'm, I'm really big on reflections. And some of the, I, I published in Notre Dame Press a, a book on sport and spirituality, some of the reflections. And if I could just share, this is, this is by a young woman who is now the lacrosse coach at Penn Charter. And the, you know, I, I would always ask the girls, can you just pick a title and then write a reflection and share with your, your teammates? And she says, Participation on a team develops character. That was her title. And she says, character building is what happens on a good team when you think you're just learning how to play basketball. You come in as a freshman trying your best, and a senior helps you up when you fall down. This kind of thing becomes contagious, and you learn that doing what is best for the team usually ends up being best for you. Here at Germantown Academy, I'm a senior. I have been lucky enough to play with some great players and even greater people. You know, that that says it all for me. And another young girl says, this is her title, my advice for the future. Sticking with basketball all four years, even though it's not my top sport, was the best decision of my life. The friendships I've made and the life lessons I've learned have made such a big impact on my life. You know, that that to me, that's what I'm most proud of. How did you change as a coach from 
Ursuline Academy to now. And I don't just mean from, I just mean over the 37 years, you know, where would you say you have changed the most, either in your approach, anything like that? Or do you think you're pretty much the same coach you were? I'm absolutely a different coach. I, I believe we're all teachers and learners. In the beginning, I, I thought we had to have a lot of rules and expectations. And the more the students would break the rules, the more I felt I was like constantly policing them. And, and it was, became a distraction. And it, energy was being given to that. And then I learned that my focus should be on senior leadership and letting them model the behavior and the expectations as, a, as opposed to top-down. And a lot of that I've learned from Coach K you know, and reading several of his books. So yeah, that that's the biggest. I've become a m- more of a listener and kind of guiding the team forward than the top down. And it seems to me that, you know, when I talk about success, all the championships and you guys won like 109 straight league games. I mean, just, but when you have the program set up like that, where the young players look up to the older players and they learn through them what's expected and there becomes a shared responsibility and the younger group doesn't want to be the ones that let it slip. And it just, it really is powerful because I've seen other programs that have talked, you know, other coaches I've talked to that talk like that. And that, that really does seem to be a key to just continued success because the names may change, the skill sets may seem, but what you're trying to accomplish and how you're trying to accomplish is always present. And when it comes from the kids rather than the coaches, it seems even more powerful. Absolutely. And I, I vividly remember you talked about that streak. And I remember some of my captains speaking up because we didn't even know about the streak until it reached 100. And I think it, my husband kept stats. And he's like, you know, you've won. And we, we had no clue. And I could remember a senior captain saying, this is not happening on my watch. We're not breaking this streak. And then it, the streak became heavy because it became front and center. and becomes a thing, yeah. It becomes a thing. And then when we did lose, I remember one of the captains saying out loud, I would rather lose with you than win with anyone else. And that – the. That was so profound and so nurturing and loving and just picking everyone up, you know, just being with each other. That 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 comment sticks with me. Is there a specific accomplishment, a specific championship? Is there one thing that is at the top of the list when it comes to like coaching accomplishments, specifically numbers wise that you are especially proud of or that jumps out the most when you look back at your career? We, we talked about this the other day. I. A fun, a really, really fun day was when Maggie Lucas, who played at Penn State and then played in the WNBA and is now coaching at Penn State. She was a senior. She got the letter in the mail saying she was a McDonald's All-American. I called her down in my office, top 40 players in the country. And we were playing Archbishop of Wood, who is a tremendous program there. And uh, I think we were down by 20, and it, and it was an opportunity for her to score her 2,000th point in that game and for me to have my 500th win. So we were down by 17, 20 points with three minutes left on the clock, and Maggie hits two back-to-back threes. We call a timeout. She comes over to the sideline and says, all right, girls, we have them right where we want them. And I just, you know, her energy just lifted everyone. We we went back out. We grabbed a steal, a putback, another steal, a putback. They called a timeout. We had a lob play, backdoor play. It was just in a, an amazing, magical moment. 
And Maggie and I were talking about the other day, and she said it just speaks volumes of the connectedness that I felt in the moment that I wanted this to be an opportunity for us to celebrate together. And, you know, that's a lasting friendship I have with that young woman. Do you enjoy the X's and O's? I love the X's and O's almost too much. I've got to pull myself in. I've, you know, I watch games and I study games. I, I study men's basketball, women's basketball. Now that we can watch the women, the collegiate games, I, you know, I'm a junkie. I, I beat 10 network and SEC network. And then I have to remind myself, step back. It's not about X's and O's. It's about the flow and the continuity that you can develop with building around their skills. But it's it's fun anyway. Yeah. What is it that grabs you? Is it just the being able to build something and see it come to fruition? Yeah. It's again, I go back to the, the beauty, the artistic movement of having a child who is an incredible three point shooter and being able to put her in a situation where she can succeed around the movement of her players and teammates. And it's artistic for me. How much. Have players changed over the years? Because it's funny, we hear every generation laments the next generation and how different they are. Yeah. Do you find that are the kids different or is just kind of the outlets, the things available to them are different? Are the kids the same or have you noticed a change in the kids over the years? Yeah, this, the athletes are different because they're 10 times more athletic. Like I could never compete at the level that my high school athletes are competing at you know they can run faster they can jump higher but when you look at the the outlets uh, you know they've changed because of social media and they've changed because of the the hunt for the scholarship so that impacts them as well but i think that the athletes they're all children and i think they want to be they they want to be connected and they want to be validated and i don't think that part has changed at all they they want to figure out how they fit in how they contribute, and how they can feel validated. And at the same time, they're also learning how my core values fall in sync with what the team values are. And so that that part has not changed at all. What is it like to see the light go off on a kid, whether it's as a person or a player, where things that you've been teaching them, working with them, and just to finally see it click, oh, that's why we do it, or that's what she was talking about. Like, what is that like to see that light go off? And whether it's within your team or 10 years later, when a player comes back and says, I totally understand. I rolled my eyes when I was here, but I get it. So two things jumped to mind. I had, and I think they're all magical moments in my life. We had Gabby Bose, who was a freshman last year and. She, I think she nailed six three-pointers against our tribal pen charter. And it was, just, it was just to see her light, the light go off, and the team recognized she was hot, and they got her the ball. And, you know, it was a great victory. So that's the flow state. That's the magical moment. Uh, last night, Caroline Doty, who played at UConn, was being honored and inducted into the Hall of Fame in Bucks County. And so I wouldn't miss the opportunity to be out there and celebrate with her. And Caroline had an amazing career. She won three national championships at UConn. And when she got up to accept the honor, she did a marvelous job thanking people throughout her lifetime. And she said, you know, in, in coaching, she said, Coach Retief is here tonight. And, you know, I always loved and enjoyed that opportunity to play 
a coach and to be a part of the Patriot team. She said, but I never really appreciated how hard coaching was until I became a coach. And she said, you know, I'm even more grateful now. And that, that just touched my heart deeply. It's, you know, and she's just a fabulous person. Was being in touch with your spirituality something that's been throughout your life, or is that something that has developed as you've gotten older? Yeah, no, that's been since I was a young child. And I realized initially it was foundational, and I've always been cautious not to impose anything on anyone, but just to work to cultivate an awareness that we are being carried in this lifetime, that there is something more that's out there that's goodness. And a lot of my writings, I believe that um, there's so much goodness in high school sports that gets overlooked or tainted by the headlines of all the negative. And so my goal is to always try dig deep and find the positive in sports and particularly girls basketball. And that's what my dissertation for my doctorate was on. Do you find more of within basketball circles, talk of spirituality? Is it much more open than it was years ago or is it more closed? Like where would you, what would there, you say? There's no discussions. There's like, it's, you know, it's hard to break into that conversation. Yeah. It just, it doesn't go on. Like, I remember my girls, one time we were riding in the van, this was years ago, and they said, Coach, you're really religious. You go to church? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm religious, and I go to church, but I actually, I think I'm more spiritual. And then I got to have a conversation with them about what I felt spirituality meant to me. And so that that was probably one of the only times we don't, it's there, it's invisible, it's around us. We don't, as humans, we don't really have the, the framework to discuss spirituality like I, I think we could, and it could carry a lot of people and find more joy in the world. What is something you will not miss about coaching? Social media. <laughs> I just, oh my gosh, that, I think, A, I type with one finger, <laughs> and so it, it would... I finally, last year, I, I said to one of the captains, can you just like be in charge of the Instagram account? And I'm just doing Twitter. So they do fun things with Instagram. And I just do the promotional stuff with, you know, when the next game is or who's doing this. But to do a post, you feel all this pressure. And there are coaches out there that could care less. And I don't know why I put that extra pressure on myself. But I wanted to make it to be nice and recognize individuals and how many times did this child's picture get posted and am I and so all those little details can be all consuming and I will not miss that. Is there anything you feel you didn't accomplish that you would have liked to? Uh no, not really. The only thing I want to accomplish now is being a great grandmother for my granddaughter on the bleachers and being that parent and that always was the remarkable parent that you would partner with as a coach. I want to be that parent for her coaches and for her. Overall, if I came up to you as a freshman at Tulane and laid out the journey you would take, would you have believed it? Never. I would have never imagined I left New Orleans. Like my my friends said New Orleans is like a glove. You're gonna you're gonna go so far, but it's just gonna pull you right back and I thought when we left, I said, yeah, we'll be back in five years. And you fell in, I fell in love with this area, the seasons, the beauty of the fall, the, the spring flowers. You don't get that in New Orleans. And there's a, you don't, 
You don't get food up here like you got in New Orleans, but, you know, there's some trade-offs there. What do you miss most about New Orleans? And do you get back there very often? Uh, well, we were going probably two or three times a year. I think we had perfect attendance at the Jazz Fest the first seven years we lived up here. And then we never really got back from Mardi Gras. But I miss being with family, extended family the most, and friends. I'm still very close with a lot of high school friends. But we connect. We, we stay in touch. And Zoom has made that wonderful. Do you think you'll be getting back a little bit more now? Actually, I feel the last, my mom passed away two years ago. My two brothers have, two of my brothers that are living have moved out. Um, my other brother passed away. So I don't have the connection there with family. I have extended family. So I, I feel I'm going to be getting there less. I do, I, we do have a trip booked for August 4th because I want my granddaughter to have the experience of staying connected with family extended family there but it's it's shifting i think my family's here now what do you hope people that played for you when it's all said and done came away with from the experience i think um approaching life with an ethics of care i just think that if we ground ourselves in the value of care um we're not gonna stray too far very retief thanks so much for coming in thank you it's been great being here and that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Sherry Retief, who is retiring after 25 years as the head girls basketball coach at Germantown Academy, for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.